What's happening, everybody? Brian Silva for the Ones Are Ready podcast. Thanks again for joining us in the team room. Today, we have another awesome guest, um, canine type. Um, so he and she, uh, Rudy Parsons, is the guy that's actually the person trainer, and they've been doing a lot of stuff. If you haven't been following Sarpup on Instagram, you're really missing out on some awesome pics of a cute dog, and she's doing really awesome stuff also. So make sure you're checking them out. But we're going to talk to them today about the only rescue pup that's involved with Pararescue right now and kind of how that came about and what they've been doing um, as far as implementing canine tactics into the rescue world. So um, without further ado, I actually do want to you know go in and thank one of our sponsors. Uh, they're not giving us any money, but they're really awesome. And we like to promote people that are really awesome and have awesome products also. So Everly Stock, um, you know, a lot of us have the mainframe, the F1 mainframe, and we've switched from our traditional Alice pack. Although, you know, a lot of people say you're supposed to train with the Alice pack and everything. It has the same type of frame. It's a rigid frame and everything like that, but the pack just carries the load so well. And it's really awesome to just train with work every day. So I replaced my uh, normal Alice uh, frame for the F1 mainframe. So go check them out and use ones ready at the checkout in order to um, get a discount on that. So um, let's get into the Sarpup, legendary Sarpup. So Rudy is here in the team room with us. If you don't mind, Rudy, just go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little about your career and then we'll go into Cali after that. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so like you said, I'm Master Sergeant Rudy Parsons. I'm a pararescueman at the Special Tactics Squadron in Kentucky, the 123rd. And um, I've been in pararescue for about 13 years now. Um, I came into the Air Force to be PJ and um, been doing it the whole time. Uh, I was active duty for six years, uh, stationed at Moody Air Force Base, and then transferred over to the Guard, saw the light, decided I want to jump jump ship and live that guard life. So um, did a couple of years as a traditional guardsman. So, you know, weekend warrior type situation, which is really hard in a special operations environment because there's a lot of currencies and everything, but um, spent some time living in the Bahamas during that time. And it was pretty cool. But then I had an opportunity, um, kind of a, a revelation about the, the value that a canine partner would add to the pararescue mission. And I was able to become a full-time guardsman and start start up the SAR canine program, which Cali is the uh, kind of the prototype for that. So that's quick, <laughs> quick down and dirty on, the, on who I am. <laughs> well, she is the goodest of girls. I mean, we all know that, right? Absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> so can you, so since, you know, she's so popular, do you mind telling us a little bit about her, like, What's her background, and then how did you come about, you know, obtaining her, becoming a dog handler? Yeah, so Callie's background is um, she's three and a half now, three and a half years old. She's a female Dutch Shepherd, which I didn't really even know what a Dutch Shepherd was until I found Callie. But um, the Belgian Malinois are becoming very popular these days, um, especially after John Wick 3, you know, Halle Berry running around with their dogs and all that stuff. Everybody, (laughs) Everybody wants one now. But, um, <laughs> which is really, so anyways, which is really sad, really sad yeah, because they yeah. are difficult. Like they require a lot of attention. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a lot of rescues going up now, similar to pit bull rescues for Belgian Malinois. Cause people get them and think, Oh, this is a good apartment dog, but it is not. I spend 24 seven with Callie. That's the only reason she hasn't ripped my, my house apart. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she's three and a half years old. I I got her from a spot called um, Pen Vet Working Dog Center, so University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. They have a um, one of the top veterinarian schools in the nation, in the world probably. Um, and then a little branch of their school is the Working Dog Center, and um, they they train anywhere from thirty to forty dogs a year that they train up to be some sort of working dog. So that could be police detection, apprehension, um, search and rescue. And then um, they're, they're doing stuff too, like right now, COVID detection. They're really um, leading the way on having dogs detect COVID in people, which is pretty crazy. Um, can- cancer detection, they've been doing that there for a while. Um, Callie was actually trained slightly in some cancer detection. It was a school. Um, but yeah, so I went there, 
kind of evaled a couple of the dogs they had. Um, Callie was not the dog I went to go buy, but when I saw her work, I was just like, all right, this is, this is going to be the face of pararescue canine rescue. Like this is it. She's, she was just so money in her job. Um, come to find out she was actually supposed to be a police, um, like drug detection dog. And they were just, they put her out there kind of just to show other options and she just crushed it at search and rescue. So, um, so, uh, so got her, went and spent, um, a total of four weeks up at Penn vet doing a handler school. It was just me learning all the nuances of being a canine handler, which it is a full-time job. Um, come to find out it's not just straight up, just, Hey, let's just get a dog that goes and finds people. It's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, got a lot of respect out to the military canine handlers. Cause these guys, like they go through 11 weeks of school and I'm, I'm trying to jam it in in four weeks. Um, stuff like that. So, uh, ended up getting her left pen vet and then, uh, her career so far, we've been together a little over two years and, uh, her career has been incredible with different training opportunities. So she is, um, she's airborne qualified. She's done all the skydiving and all that. She's air assault qualified. Um, we've done maritime assault and, um, uh, maritime maneuvers and stuff like that with her. Um, She's got hundreds of flight hours. She's just incredible stuff. Um, a lot of time out in the snow in avalanche situations, just looking for buried people and stuff like that. And so far in training only, but um, she's been all over the country just doing all this different stuff and uh, just really just impressing me all, all along the way. Well, she's, a, she's definitely a bit of a superstar. I mean, she's got quite the following on, on Instagram. And I mean, it, let's, let's be real. It is her that everybody's following. Absolutely. I don't know how many people. I don't know how many people are following you. I would say maybe two, and um, that's just my mom and my dad probably. Well, my yeah, dad, yeah. my dad doesn't even have an account, so yeah. Hey, that that's the only people that listen to me. Yeah. Those are the ones that buy our sweatshirts and shirts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, you mentioned that she was also good at other things, right? And she wasn't the original dog that you were coming to grab. So, like, what all is she good at? We know that she's got a good sniffer, you yeah. know, but, like, what are some other modalities, if you will, that she she can do even though that's not her expertise? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I think whenever I show up and work with other agencies, one of the things she really uh, surprises people, well, not surprises, but impresses them with is her agility. So she can move through adverse terrain, walk across I-beams, like all this crazy stuff and like um, just doesn't really affect her. Um, we've trained through, she had some issues, um, any canine handlers would know, like a lot of dogs have issues going into voids. So that was one of her issues when we first got her, but now she's like jumping down into stuff and searching through tunnels and um, that type of stuff. So her agility, she's super fast, um, just exceptionally fast and then um pen vet working dog center actually does um like it's called fit to work is what they call it but it's canine workout programs so dogs doing squats with weight vests and like stuff like that and so she's a strong dog so there's um uh, that's kind of her stuff there uh other than that like her sniffer like you said and searching out living people is her forte um but she uh um yeah, I think that's that's kind of her her work, the things she's good at work-wise. So you guys, whenever you go to the gym, do you load her up with her weight vest and like have her do the, like any kind of routine or does she know her own workout for the morning like ever or yeah. do you have to Uh yeah, so we uh <laughs> we actually do pretty good like partner workouts kind of. So we show up, we start, you know, foam roller, make sure muscles are out and she's doing her stretches as I'm doing that, which really is her just like wallowing wallowing on the turf, kind of just rubbing herself. <laughs> through the turf because that probably feels great on her. Um, and then we do our little warmups, like, you know, the shuffles and the carrot and like um, skips and all that stuff. And as I'm doing that, she's doing figure eights through my legs or like um, doing some sort of stretch on the side and all that. And then depending on the workout, I'll put her on the treadmill and she'll hang out for 20 minutes, just doing a little brisk walk or um, we'll get her into some strength training and I'm doing my stuff. So it's actually pretty cool. I've, it was one of those things where I was like, if I'm going to be like, I'm going to be a canine handler. This dog's going to do everything with me. So I've, it was cool to kind of develop. I went from like 10 minute workout sessions where she's sitting there just barking at me, demanding her toy to now we're like a, <laughs> a like a pretty well oiled machine at the gym. So 
That sounds just like Cohen's going through the pipeline, <laughs> you know, beginning to end. That's how that works. Besides, so the, does she get like besides the obedience mm. thing? The Cohen's just don't have, yeah. don't have the obedience. <laughs> but there's a moment. There's like one moment in the pipeline where they're like kind of listen, yeah. and then they get all confident, and then just do their own thing. Does she get like half your uh, special duty pay, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, practically. I mean, just with the <laughs> amount I spoiler, but. Um, yeah, no. It's, <laughs> yeah, we actually we don't get paid extra. I think it is a, a special duty pay in the in the military for ham, canine handler. But I mean, and you know, we are special. The special ops we get pretty good uh, incentives. And I don't know if there's any room to add to that. So I think we're maxed. So out. you're not. So you're not designated as a dog handler, like no. in the DoD. Yeah. So oddly, um, we kind of we did it in a weird way that this is a secondary duty, which is never heard of i don't think in the in the dod so it's kind of odd so um it'd be like if you were the pj and they're like you're in the dive shop i'm just the pj that's in charge of canine so it's kind of a odd situation but um like i said it's it's a handful hats off to the uh, canine handlers in the military because it is it's a a lot of work that's awesome is there anything about uh pararescue like i know it just doesn't sound like you do a lot of uh, stuff without her is there anything that's part of your job that she can't be there for, you know, like yeah. the aerosol, the jumping and everything else like that. Like, yeah. what, what are her limitations? Like we know she's got a great sniffer and all that other stuff, but what are you forced to go do without her? And it breaks your heart. I think, uh, the one thing I can't justify me getting her involved in is open ocean, open water. Um, there's not really a, a value for it. I think there is, uh, currently, I think there might be eventually if there's like, um, you know, the typical pararescue mission is, boiler explodes on some frigate 600 miles out to the, in the ocean. And like, if they're like, Hey, like somebody's missing, we don't know where this dude's at. I, I think there might be a cause to be able to jump her in and be able to search through the ship to find stowaway or missing somebody after that type of a, an event. But, um, as of right now, I don't see the value of putting her open ocean in that type of environment. So mostly because I'm scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to be worried about another creature out there too. <laughs> God, that's so true. If if you if you've never floated in the middle of the ocean with with no boats or safety boats mm-hmm. or anything like that really, hanging around, really gives you perspective. Like oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You know, you're no longer on the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. What at, like yeah. at all? Yeah. I can imagine losing a dog. Like she can't even wave her arms or pull her, yeah. you know, yeah. flotation devices or anything like that. You're just like, all oh she, my gosh, where'd you go? Yeah, all she'd be doing just splashing the water, calling the sharks at us. You know, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keep that away, keep that away from. <laughs> but like, but other than that, it's 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 usually like a seven days a week, twenty four hours a day. You and Callie hanging out together, and you taking pictures for Instagram because, like you said. No one, no one even calls you anymore. They're just like, put the mm-hmm. dog on. Like, let's let's yeah. see what happens. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I even I go into work and like everybody's like, Callie. They're like, oh hey Rudy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she gets all um, the treats. Yeah, yeah. So she's a she's a unique case. Um, technically, she's considered she is in the the military working dog management system. So she's on par with all the DOD working dogs. Um, but she's a special case. That she's a take home dog. There's no there's. There's a few other exceptions, but other than that, all dogs stay in centralized kenneling on their base. So a handler will go in, check their dog out, do their work, um, train or whatever, check the dog back in. The kennel master takes control with me and Callie. I go to work with her. She comes home with me. She goes to get dinner with me if I go to the restaurant, unless there's some value for me to keep her at home for some something for her training, separation training or something. Um, but yeah, we're constantly like, if I'm, if I'm taking her, there's a reason I'm taking her for her training. If I'm leaving her, there's a reason I'm leaving her. So it's constant, so is constantly. Is she, so is she there with you now? She is. Yeah. So she's, she's getting the luxury right now. And she's in the bed. That's not normal for her. She's normally in her crate, but I figured I'd, uh. I'd, I'd have a, I'd have a normal, like a little, an easy way to get her. But yeah, she had a, we went for a, a ruck march today and she's apparently that put her out. So. nice so um flipping over to like operational type of stuff um i know you guys have been part of a lot of different things and after every mission that anyone does we always do after action reports so just kind of curious as to like what kind of things you guys have been into and what are the big lessons learned and how we can go forward with implementing canines in the rescue world yeah um a lot of our stuff's been training so far um we have done one actual deployment um stateside to tennessee after the tornadoes about seven months ago i think 
Um, so we went down there, uh, we showed up and obviously it's chaos. Um, Tennessee emergency management system had a really good grasp on stuff already. So when we showed up, they're like, yeah, we need you to go search this, um, pretty much a square mile of area, which was the, the largest chunk of, I mean, these houses were leveled down to the foundation, like just sprayed across, across a square mile. So that's pretty much where the apex of the, uh, the tornado went through. So they were like, um, go ahead and get, get yourselves out there, do your search, let us know. Currently we're missing 13 people according to like accountability. So at the time, that's what we were looking for is 13 people. As, as we were searching, um, they ended up gaining accountability. Oh, that person's at the hospital. Oh, that person's actually at their aunt's house. Um, so actually no, nobody was actually missing, but, um, we spent five hours on the ground, searched that square mile, um, and we didn't find anything, but what we did do is that the rescue teams that were following behind us, they didn't spend hours and hours digging through something that there was no, no reason to dig through. So, um, so that's, that was kind of a win in my book. It wasn't like a glorious, Hey, we found a, you know, the, there was a 13 month old baby that was missing at the time that that's who's at her aunt's house, I guess. But we didn't find that 13 month old baby. It was like a huge success for the program. But in my book, we saved a lot of man hours. Absolutely. And that's huge for everybody's mentality as you go forth too. If you have a rescue dog or a way that you can just quickly get everything done, um, rather than having to spend whatever, 13 hours. And then that disrupts not only the cycles that the uh, station's on, whatever, whoever was out there rescuing, but also the people that are going to have to, you know, follow on and then the families. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of third order effects from that kind of stuff, but that is huge. Cause I know if there are times when we were on the ground looking for, searching or you know uh for whatever wreckage ended up happening like if we would have been able to go home early reset our stuff or not even take out half of our yeah. equipment to search we would have been way better off for that whatever next mission was a follow-on so that's yeah exactly so a side note on that i guess after after action stuff like you're saying so like i think we're like three and a half four hours in she's been working the whole time within 20 uh about I guess five minutes of us going on search, she actually got a puncture wound in her back leg. And it was like squirting blood. So I was able to treat her on site and then put her back to work. And she like, she worked for three, three and a half hours. And I'm like, I'm sitting there eating a cliff bar. And, um, and I, I noticed her over around the corner doing, and I'm, I'm like, I think she's on scent right now. She might've found somebody. And I turned the corner and she's just sitting there like trying to eat this raw chicken that had been sprayed out of somebody's refrigerator. And I'm, nice. I'm sitting and I'm sitting there eating it like, like my, my, uh, my energy bar there. And I'm like, I haven't even fed this dog yet. Like it was one of those things where I was just like, I'm an idiot. She's been in mode, like hard working for three hours and hasn't even had any type of a energy boost or like, you know, I've done, done water breaks, but not food. So I just hadn't thought about it. So like seeing her as the tactical athlete that she is, like anybody that's in motion for three hours sniffing, like their dog's nose is going 220 breaths a minute when they're in, when they're searching. So like she is running a marathon for three hours. And uh, yeah, so I kind of felt bad about that one. Figured out, <laughs> figured out an appropriate, you know, I'm going to do – 50 minute search, 10 minute break. Like you actually have to hold to some sort of a thing, like keep, keep your troop ready to go. So, yeah. I mean, there, so there's, those SAR pups are, are invaluable. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned you had her on task for three hours, but like how much ground, how much time do they save or how much, like what, what is that pacing mechanism? Like how much time do they in fact save? Uh, a lot. So, um, so that was that that was a real world situation our standards are that we train to so what's cool about Callie is we've actually got her trained in a lot of environments so um a lot of dogs will be like oh this is a disaster rescue dog this is a wilderness rescue this is an avalanche rescue what's cool about Callie is she does it all um and so it's been really cool to see that but so for example let's say there was an earthquake and some buildings collapsed what Callie is certified like in the test what she was able to do was search in less than 20 minutes she was able to find six people in a in a square block so six people in 20 minutes um in the wilderness 80 acres in in less than two hours to find potentially two two missing people so if you think about 80 acres that's like 60 football fields and so cover that in two hours 
uh, and be able to find two people that could be hidden anywhere in those in that area. Um, and then Avalanche, it's a, a football-sized field on a slope, obviously an avalanche slope, and uh, potentially find two people in there as well. So, And that's in uh, 15 minutes because after 15 minutes, you start losing life. So so that's – I mean, to me, like, I don't know if I can say how much time – like, I mean, with our beacons in Avalanche or us, like, using little sonar detectors through rubble, you know, that's going to take days. Um, but – uh, yeah. So all that brings up uh, just a question in my mind because I know PJs are kind of known for having a lot of gear because you deploy all over the world and you have to kind of be suited for whatever mission is going to be coming up. So you know we have fairly decent sized lockers. Um, does Callie have her own locker and does she have like a bunch of outfits for wherever she goes around the world? I've never really thought about taking a dog in different places only around my nothing block. But our, nothing but our Tarex. It's all yeah, our Tarex right. stuff. Yeah. She, yeah. <laughs> Bark Gucci out. It's bark Terex, but <laughs> oh, I, just, I just came got up the with dad that. jokes. Oh, I just came up with that right now. I'm pretty proud of it. So, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you, actually, you uh, better trademark that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might need you guys help on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> a little skeleton dog. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're onto something, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so actually, uh, within the last month, we just got new lockers at our squadron and they, they actually did give her her own locker. Um, it's filled up almost as much as my locker is, um, <laughs> just a lot of it's food and stuff, but, um, yeah, she does have a lot of gear and, uh, there's full on layered layering systems for dogs. They've got dog, you know, pads for certain weather environments and different vests, goggles, helmets. Like she's got it. She's got it all. So yeah, different, different harnesses if we're working out of aircraft compared to in the mountains, all that. So, yeah. I'll kid it up. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about, you're talking about, you know, 80 acres and two hours and uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of space or area to cover. Um, Man, she's going to wear you out. I'm sure she is always waiting on you and, and mm-hmm. you're the weak link just because we can't move as fast as they are. And especially when they're on task, I mean, they are, I mean, they are focused. So will, will she listen to any of the other team members or is she just solely listen to you? So, yeah, that's, it's cool. They actually, through training, we kind of make sure that, that she's a teammate. So, um, if she, uh, first of all, she'll kind of run through the team and eliminate them as that's not the person I'm looking for because you're acting normal. You look, I know you, you're a teammate. Um, but, um, yeah, she, she'll range, you know, sometimes a quarter mile away from me, be out of sight, out of mind. And she might run into another team that's searching or a teammate that's out there doing something. So, um, really what, what I expect from them is, don't interact with her. Cause I don't say anything to Cal when she's working, like she's on her own, unless it's a safety thing or like, I know she missed an area because she's like got drawn up a hill or something. I'll tell her, go check this area. For the most part though, she's just, she's an autonomous unit. And my job is just body language to tell her this is the direction we're going and she'll start doing zigzags and kind of just cover up in front of me. So, so um, in a search, not so much, but um, outside of that, she definitely has her favorites on the team, and um, she does listen to those guys. And like, um, she's really well behaved for those guys. So, yeah, that's amazing. How how much of that is natural instinct, and how much of that is actual training? Like the knowing the zigzag and knowing to check sectors and that kind of stuff. Callie picked up the zigzag on her own um, and that type of stuff. Uh, but the instinct with, I mean, dogs sit here and just study us. Like we're, we're idiots because we, we don't pay attention to what our dogs are ever saying, but they just sit here and watch us and she's picking up body language and all this stuff. So she can read me. So I just know if I, if I walk this direction or I point my shoulders this direction, she knows that's enough for her to be like, I'm going to go check that area. I'm going to punch through the bushes over there kind of just look around. So um, I think that's natural instinct for dogs, especially when you get up to the caliber that she is, that that's, we train that, you know, multiple times a day. Like we're, we're a team that's just syncing up daily. So, so I have a question. So uh, PJs are known to be uh, technical rescue and medical experts, but they have the, offensive capability you know you're not like medics that go out there and not going to shoot someone if they're shooting at you does Callie have any offensive capabilities so right now we're a prototype um i think my picture and i think it is in the book in the works just because it makes sense um right now Callie is a search dog only 
and she will look for living people that want to be found. We're not looking for bad guys or anything like that right now. Um, there's definitely situations that I've been in or some of my buddies that I think a search dog that does, um, there's a difference from tracking and area scent. Callie does area scent, so she can find any obscured individual or missing person in an area just by scent, as opposed to be like, hey, smell this, this dude's dirty underwear, go find him type of thing. Like, um, So she does different. So there's situations that I can see her being a very valuable as, um, asset to where like, Hey, we know there's going to be a bite at the end of this one, as opposed to like bark and tell me this person's here. Um, but currently Callie's only rescue and um, currently domestical. So I pretty much, we've got to prove the concept is, Hey, this actually saves pair rescue uh, time and it's, it saves life. It's an efficient manner to save life. Once we prove that concept, I think we will open the door to actually provide a true special tactics canine that can provide protection point defense system, um, as well as like a search capability of like, Hey, we know, you know, we're missing your ranger fell down the wells, classic story. You know, we're missing that guy. Where was that? Well, at go dog finds him or, Hey, there's, there's a dude hiding in here somewhere. Oh, there's a false bookshelf dog bites and helps the apprehension. So, so I think there, I think the long run, I view it as being a true special tactics dog. Currently what Callie is, is a dog that gets in, in a, disaster situation that no other dog could be able to get to as quick as we do right but if, if i attack you will she rip my arm off i mean she i just want to know <laughs> uh we can try it out but no I, uh we've done some, some <laughs> i've definitely had a couple friends that have tried it but um she does not she doesn't have that immediate like attack she a lot of times she'll actually bite me and try to get the frisbee out of my hand with if i've got it it's like that's it's like a moment of opportunity for her to get a reward Oh, damn, that's but, like a, re- uh, a real relationship you got. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. So, so, so like one more thing, like with, with it being a secondary duty, um, you know how the, for people out there, we have like three, five and seven level uh, skills, skill levels in our, in our uh, career fields, you know, as, as we move through our careers and it tells you how far along you are, do you have to get like a five level or a seven level? And, and where do you get that from and who signs you off? Uh, for all the dog handling stuff, because you're kind of out there alone, but like, yeah. who's your who's your functional boss in that chain? So technically, um, speaking with the Air Force Pro Canine Program Manager, he's dubbed me the Search and Rescue Canine Program Manager because we have one dog, and I'm the I'm the guy for it. Um, she's the only Search and Rescue dog in the entire DoD. So, um, so when I when I went down to Lackland to present this concept to them, they were just like. This is awesome and absolutely let's get this on the road because this is this is great capability. But we know nothing about search and rescue. So you find your qualifications, you find your certifiers, everything outside of the military. So currently it's all it's all civilian. Um, everybody, everybody I've gone through, uh, there's local people I work with here. Uh, you know, Jeff Craig Fire uh, Fire Department has a search and rescue team that their their canine handlers are just exceptional. And it's just luckily they're just, you know. 30 minutes down the road. So a lot of it's just maintaining uh, exposure to people that know a lot more than me. And then they can check me when I start getting kind of, <laughs> kind of wild with dog training. So, yeah. I think that's freaking awesome. Just that just exemplifies the special operations type mindset of, you know, we have some kind of a problem or we can do something better. Let's figure it out and make sure that our team is best fitted for whatever our our mission is. You know, for you guys, obviously, it's making sure that <clears throat> we have the capabilities to the most quickly and efficiently take care of those people that may be survivors in, t- in a disaster type of situation. And then, you know, downrange, um, like I think you guys are yet to go down there, down that route and everything as proof of concept. But i um, super excited to be able to actually see what she can do down there. Um, and it's really awesome that you're able to do that. Um, so you said there, she's kind of in a prototype probationary kind of period and everything like that. When does that end? And, um, do you, when do you plan on like trying to implement this in other ST squadrons? So in my book, it already ended. I think she's proved concept already just by watching her work. But, um, I think there needs to be a highlight, uh, you know, something that people were just like that changed it. So I don't know if you guys are tracking, but Portland STS just went out and did a search, um, like a couple weeks ago, like a month ago. And, um, they, they were 
you know, with our capabilities, they were like, hey, you're giving, we're giving you this adverse terrain. Your job is to search this really difficult terrain. Um, they pushed through the day, ended up coming down to nightfall. The incident commander is like, hey, we're just calling off all ships, are all searching for the night. Uh, the family was like, I, I want to keep pushing. So they paid a private canine um, search and rescue dog to go out there. The dog found the person. So like in my, in my book, like that alone is another story. Plus Callie's capability of saving working hours. Like this is, I mean, we are being put in situations where, where canine would help us. And like, we're carrying all this other gear anyways. Callie's not even extra weight. Like, it's, it just makes so much sense to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and how do you guys uh, feel like implementing it would be the best? Like, for example, we have a guy that just comes onto the team. Obviously, he's trying to learn his job and everything like that. At what point would you see a person able to, because Trent was talking about three, five, seven level thing. At what point would you think that a person would be ready to take on this extra duty? And then, you know, at a certain point they might have to forego some other duties that might have to come up like um i don't know being some of the team leader kind of job and all the planning and all that kind of stuff because obviously Callie's super time intensive so how do you see that kind of shaking out yeah so i'm i'm running through that right now trying to figure out what the best way to do it would be um there's a lot of changes going on in this um special warfare world right now for us and um i think if i were to hash it out because there's different so the navy seals they if you're a seal you can just pop up and be a, a canine for a couple deployments so you'll get your dog a lot of times it's towards the end of your time that way once the dog retires you retire you, you now have a team dog that you retire with it's kind of a cool program that they've got going the marines they actually take conventional marine cops so mps they try out and they get put on you know the marsoc teams um, they get selected and put on as as conventional cops that then roll with the MARSOC teams as their canine. Um, so that's an option like, you know, security forces canine comes and just runs our dogs. Uh, the other option is like the Rangers pretty much if you deploy and you like, you know, make a, make a smile at the dog or like wave at the dog, the canine handler's like that new Ranger looks like he's interested. He's the next canine, that type of thing, you know, like, so it's kind of like each, each uh, community has their own way of doing it. So with where we're at with special warfare development right now, like what I think would be ideal, I'd like to keep it as a team guy. Um, I think it just makes sense. Um, but once you get to your five level, you have an option of being like, hey, you can progress to seven level pararescue, seven level controller, SR, whatever whatever your, your current is. Or you have an option of let's branch you into canine. And then you can do canine for a couple years. Um, I mean, it kind of messes up the seven or that's, that's your new path i'm not sure but that way you've got the foundations of soldiering you know you know shoot move communicate with the team you've done deployments you've got the background and then at that point you can kind of like class into the the canine world yeah operate more autonomously without someone having to tell you exactly what to do and at least exactly. do it safely so they don't have to worry about you falling out of the helicopter and uh, doing something dumb Precisely. um <laughs> And then one more thing on as far as Cal, having Cal on the team. So I know you mentioned like, you know, she's she's more part of the team right now. What are the other kind of uh, second order effects that you've seen as far as having her on the team and the morale and taking her on trips and all that other kind of stuff? Um, you know, boosting. I, I'm sure like just having her around. We always had kind of like a deployment type yeah. of animals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get too far into that, but yeah. I was going to say you're trying you're trying to be very vague on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, a lot of her controllers, I felt some like frustration with because when she showed up in the team room, she's she's barked and like everybody has hearing problems already in her group. You know, like everybody's headaches constantly, all this stuff. So she just showed yeah. up in the team room and just barked because she was just <laughs> she was frustrated because new environment, new people, nobody's playing with her, all this stuff, uh, sitting in her crate all this stuff so so she was kind of a nuisance at first but um then we start doing tdys with her and we're out you know roughing it and like she'll go curl up in somebody's tent just to get warm while we're around the campfire and the guy's like why'd she pick me she picked me you know like yeah so all of a sudden everybody's <laughs> so um 
So I everyone's think, sleeping with treats. Yeah, exactly. So I think just naturally, like just her presence, it, it, she's a very non-affectionate dog. It's, she's the first dog that I've had that does not like to be pet. Um, she's just all, it's all just work for her. Um, but if she does show affection, you just see that the, this, these grizzled warriors of Salt Center are just like, oh, like this is so nice. Like for some re- <laughs> some reason, she just came and put her head into me and just wants me to scratch her behind her ears. So, so yeah, we've got dudes now. Um, you know, hunting season and all that. We've got dudes bringing in deer legs for her. like got guys are going out of their way to make sure they have sardines for lunch. Like they wouldn't have eaten sardines in, in their lunch, but all of a sudden they have sardines. They're like sneaking or some of those. So, so like. Um, definitely I, it's been cool to watch the team develop and like actually accept her in. And I, I think a couple of our training events that we did actually seeing her help the team, like in mass casualty training scenarios where it would have taken us two hours to find the, the tricky person that they hid out in the woods, you know, the, the classic, like you're missing one person. Like, um, the minute that took two and a half minutes for us to find that person and be in and be treating like they were just like okay this that just that that changed it like this makes sense she's not just a team morale dog like she is that was awesome so it's it was cool i think what those situations just see the mind shift shift the mind uh yeah the mind shape that, that, that word's getting me right <laughs> <laughs> just see the, the shift in mindset there we go mindset yeah. uh just see that mindset sh- shift and then um they all of a sudden are just like, like I said, bringing in treats for her or like, hey, do you mind if I take her out to like a walk, let her go to the bathroom all stuff. So guys are like really stepping in now and like helping out too. Which is and I think one of the other things of that is just, you know, coming back from deployments and that kind of thing, of there's a lot more prevalence of PTSD and other, mm-hmm. other kind of uh, effects like that. So it'll be interesting to see because obviously Pararescue's never had anything like this before, how she kind of impacts those people and reintegration and just being able to stay on a more level head throughout the deployment uh, yeah. versus, you know, there's always those times during deployment when everyone just hates each other and you're like tired of smelling each other's farts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone gets at each other's throats. So I'm sure she quells some of that arguments and that kind of thing. Yeah, it def- um, definitely in team room. I've noticed that. And then like, I know like Alaska actually has a, a, a morale dog with their team so hangs out at the team room all the time and they can go and kind of hang out with her or him the dog's name is tom and so that's a cool concept for sure just because i mean mental health is that's that's definitely the the way the effect that the animal has on it is just incredible because well like you start taking care of that then all of a sudden your problems are just like a little bit Mm. you're you're just like i I don't really remember that but i was angry right now so yeah Yeah. so All right, well, lighten it up a little bit. I, I've got a German, I, I got a German Shepherd, and she sheds everywhere. So I'm sure Callie does as well. How do you deal with all the fur? So luckily, um, she's a, a single coat. She doesn't have the double, so she doesn't shed that much. So she definitely does. She does oh, shed, man. but um, she's not terrible. So <laughs> it's not too bad. Um, that was that was actually one of my biggest fears because I hate just having to worry about fur and all that. So. Um, yeah, she's actually a pretty clean dog. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah. So <laughs> how, how, how long do you think you and Callie can keep this up or how long are you, are you looking to do it? Like if you decide to leave the, the 123rd, you know, does she go with you or, or anything like that? Not that you're going to leave. I'm just kind of curious how all that works ownership wise. Yeah. So that's up in the air right now. Cause it's not really uh, something we've thought out it's beginning of the program still. Um, I would like to think, uh, just for the value of the dog, I think, uh, there's a lot of the connection that Callie and I have is super important. Like, like I was talking about, I can read her body language and I know this dog is now working scent. And I know this is like a burned portion remains of a human body, or I know this dog is working life, life scent. So I'm able to like kind of determine stuff. So I'd like to think that the dog would remain with me through my working career. That being said, I'm planning on being in Kentucky anyways. So that, that's not a concern, but, um, the, uh, the lifespan of her for working life is anywhere from three to seven years, depending on the rigors of the job injuries, all that stuff. And then she could go longer or short or whatever. And then, um, 
once she's done with work, uh, it's between myself, her veterinarian, army vet, and the uh, commander of the unit to be able to decide, hey, she's she's done a lot. She's ready to retire. And at that point, she's she would retire out of the military and become my dog. So so that's kind of the, the, the plan there. So. And well, I'd probably I'd probably be running a second dog at that point too. So she'd be she'd go into retirement life. The second dog would be picking up the torch. So. Yeah. Well. So I I know I went lighter, but I'm gonna take it a little bit uh, more heartfelt right now, just because. You know the the SOCOM memorial. We we actually have put. I say we like I did it, but SOCOM has put two dedicated statues to canine animals at the Salt Memorial. And I think it's important for people to realize that, man, whether these dogs are on target, whether they're at a a humanitarian site or anything like that, like we view these dogs as an equal teammate. So when one of them gets injured or one of them gets killed, in action, it, it is it is devastating for the entire team, and the the whole team and community feels that. So I, I know that there's probably some discussions on whether working dogs is having the right one, whether they're you know bite dogs or smell dogs or sar dogs. But I just I would tell the listeners out there like we we care about these dogs as much as we do our teammates. So I, and I think I think we care for them pretty well, oh, yeah. and I think you're a testament for that. I mean, I you know if you follow your Instagram, and I, and I know we've talked before. Um, I, I think what you're doing with the with Callie is amazing, and uh, and I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I, just to like just to know, I was just telling a buddy of mine this today, but like rappelling out of a helicopter, I've done it hundreds, maybe thousands of times now. You know, like I've done it, but a bunch. So like. As soon as I added Cali attached to me, I started triple checking my safety checks. Like I, you know, like it's no longer, I might hurt myself. I'm now like, Oh, I'm actually back into safety checks, like looking over every bit of it. So as opposed to just like the, just we're doing it again, doing it again, check, check your harness, whatever it's, I'm like actually routing everything again. So it was interesting for me to go back through all this stuff with Cali. And all of a sudden I'm like focused on all those little details that I've been igno- not ignoring, but hadn't really focused on for years. So well, you, you get into the, you know, yeah, no, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> We've got narcs on the ground. It'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, who cares? I've accepted. I've accepted my own mortality. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so who requires like more training, or uh, or who picks up their job faster between you and Callie? Callie's good at what she does. I can just say that. I think. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely the uh, the dumb end of the leash for sure. So uh, uh, when, it, like, when, it, when it comes down to it, I'm learning a lot from her, and she just she knows what her job is, and she knocks it out, and then I have to like peruse through all these books and be like, well, what, what's going on here? Like, how do I improve this? What's the wind going to do in this situation? All that stuff. She's, and she just works it. So, yeah. Dude. Well, I, I mean, I, I love your story just because we get a lot of questions about what's the daily life like for an air force special warfare guy. And it's like, guys, you can, you can get yourself into almost anything. And I like to look at your story as like, you saw a, a potential and a need and um and you just went after it and you did it. I don't want to say by yourself because I'm not 100 percent sure, but you're definitely the driving force between be, uh, behind the the first ever search and rescue pup uh, make, within uh, our community. Don't make it sound too noble. I just got tired of carrying the jaws. I figured. A little, a little <laughs> hey, hey, Callie, you got this. <laughs> it's, Quit there's got to be a better way, heavy, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> keep up. Keep yeah. up. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I just have one more question is are there like personal life impacts you know like we talk about Cali a lot but it's it's a 24/7 job just do you even have a personal life uh yeah so I've gotten normalized again it took probably a, um, a year and a half to kind of like because it seriously was every decision I'm making was based on something that will affect her she had um, 
separation anxiety real bad when I got her. So I had to actually like make decisions on, can I go out and have dinner with friends tonight? Or cause I'll come back and my door frame was ripped off one time, you know, cause she was just trying to escape to try, come and find me or do I, do I just stay in? And then like, so there was a solid nine months where we were together 24 seven and it was just training her slowly of me going out the door, closing the door, locking it. Okay. Coming right back in and then slowly moving my way away. And then, you know, it took a while to break through that stuff. So definitely impacts, um, in my personal life, but it's, it's awesome. Cause she's a working dog. So like, um, there's training to be found everywhere for us. So if I go home, I'm originally from Colorado. So if I go home, I go spend some time with the avalanche, uh, avalanche dudes out there, do some avalanche scenarios with them, which now Callie just came home with me so I can go spend Christmas with her or with the family, you know? So it's, it's pretty cool. Cause she's straight up just always with me. She's, she's just my, she's my, yeah, you know, my partner in crime. It's been cool because, like, everything's open to us. But yeah. Well, you know, it's I, I'm going to a new unit, and I haven't really brought this up to them, but I 100% plan on bringing my dog into work just for not only for me but for the rest of the guys because okay. she just loves being around people. Yeah, I think you can get a service vest off of Amazon for thirty five dollars. <laughs> <Nobody else. laughs> no one can say anything. <laughs> nope. <laughs> The new guys can clean up the fur. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So this last part, I just want to go back to you because you are a master sergeant PJ. And although, you know, Callie has been doing this for a while. You've been doing this also for a really long time. Like you said, thousands of repels out of a helicopter and everything like that. And lots of experience prior to you doing this. And, um, you know, the amount of dedication that it takes for you, like Trent was saying, to be able to take this dog into your in your house, uh, make her your friend and then have everything that goes forth after that, um, kind of depend on her almost like, you know, uh, a cater spouse or, you know, family member. Um, what, what did you do as far as like when you first came into NDOC or, what were some of the hardest things? And then did you ever see yourself, you know, becoming this kind of person where you have a canine and attached to the unit that's your training and you personally took responsibility for doing, and was there anything that in between kind of made the two match up? Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, prior to joining the air force, I was actually looking at being uh, a sheriff out in Cheyenne and, um, the goal was to become canine just cause I thought that'd be cool. And then got the mustache for it. Got the mustache for it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I was like looking into that, decided, you know, I can, I can do this and I'd be in law enforcement for the rest of my career, or I could do military and then bounce out to law enforcement. So I was like, let's do military first. Got convinced I was going to be a linguist. Um, recruiter convinced me that, you know, pararescue combat control is really cool. So I should do that. Never really swam before, uh, other than just like playing with nephews and nieces in the kiddie pool. So, um, uh, there's not a lot of water in Colorado, Wyoming area there. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's some, there's really some cool cold. lakes. Yeah, there's some cool lakes, but yeah, so didn't really spend much in the water. What's up? You hadn't swam 25 meters or anything before no. you came in? <laughs> no. So uh, I, I went to the, uh, the YMCA and I started learning how to swim, uh, you know, trained for like two months. And uh, I, I was super pumped when I was able to like, past the 500 meter freestyle and under i think at the time it was like a 12 30 was the the, the speed cup like <laughs> not fast yeah um so in doc i actually uh i was there at a um, total of 11 months because i was on three teams went to dive school Dang. yeah went to dive school got sent back because i had excessive amount of shallow, shallow water blackouts. The, the policy is different now, but at the time it was kind of um, developing into what it is now. Like, you know, don't black out otherwise you're gone kind of thing. But at the time it was just don't pop. And uh, so, so I had a, an excessive amount that it kind of the Navy doctors were like, yeah, you're not, you're not going subsurface for us, bud. Like you've had, uh, you know, record, <laughs> recorded, thir- recorded 13 shallow water blackouts. Like not, not good. <laughs> so Yeah. So I'm super smart now, obviously. No brain cell damage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they sent me back to NDOC, and I then went through another NDOC team, so a fourth NDOC team as a grad student, uh, just to prove that I could perform all the underwater tasks uh, without blacking out. And at that point, I was a a 
God in the water because I'd been there 11 months. So there was no, no more fear of blacking out all that. So, um, so went through then went through the pipeline and all that pretty much without, without any other issues. But, um, never once was I thinking that canine was a possibility though. Like it's just, it's crazy. Cause, um, back in 2010, after the earthquake in Haiti, uh, they, there was a team of PJs that spent three days in the rubble looking for missing school kids. Um, uh, FEMA canine showed up and in 20 minutes cleared the site. And they're like, yeah, there's nobody in here. You just wasted three days. Um, so in 2010, our weapons and tactics division was like, canine is approved if anybody can figure it out. And then now fast forward at the time, 18, eight years later, I kind of found a folder, um, one of our chiefs at Moody, he's now at the, at the Pentagon's, uh, um, hillbilly Harden. Um, but he's, he was, he'd already like put a bunch of work into figuring this out. He just didn't have the, the time, I guess, to really like make it, make it an effect. So I found his folder and I was just like, what's this? Started looking, started talking to him about it. And he's like, go for it. So as soon as I started pushing that, the squadron got behind it immediately was down in Lackland. And like I said, those guys were just like, this is incredible. Absolutely make it happen. Um, so Lackland like gave us that approval and all that. So it was one of those things where I think I verbalized that I wanted a dog, but you know, I'm single. I don't, as a PJ, I'm on the road 280 days a week, a, a year, you know, like I don't have the capability to take care of a dog. So I was like, man, I just really wish I had a dog that could go everywhere with me. And that's where Chief Harden was like, hey, why don't you uh, look into this? And and then within months of me verbalizing that, I, I was out buying Cali. So it was pretty, pretty crazy just how quickly it just ramped up. Yeah, that's super awesome. And the work that you're doing is like truly going to change the the game for special tactics squadrons as a whole to be able to have a dog that's actually working with them and beside them on TDYs and, um, you know, being able to just leverage that ability to decrease their amount of time on scene like we've been talking about and everything is phenomenal. It's, just, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so last thing, um, is as you know, our listeners are all those people that are trying to get into, you know, Air Force special tactics, do the kind of stuff that um, you're doing. So, what would be one of your biggest tips for those people that are trying to go into um, Air Force special tactics and do this kind of thing, or become a trainer, or whatever? Because obviously, you said 13 shallow water blackouts. That's a pretty outstanding number to go through. And I, I personally have never seen anybody when I was an instructor, you know, do that many blackouts because at that time, like you said, there's a rule in effect where if you have over two shallow water blackouts, you have to have a lot of work up and there's a lot of paperwork and there's stuff that ha happens now. Um, so what would you say to those people that are just coming in, they heard your story and like, wow, why did you come back? Why did you keep on going? What made you, you know, what made you feel like it was that worth it to do? Yeah. What would you tell I, so I think uh, looking back now, it's definitely worth it. So if you're able to have that foresight <laughs> to be able to just be like, this is the best decision I could ever make while you're like struggling to breathe underwater, like, or not, you can't breathe underwater, I guess. Um, if you have the foresight to just know this is worth it, I think that that is money, but nobody has that foresight because you are in the moment of emotion and, and pain. So to me, what got me through NDOC um, with as many, sh so like I said, I was not good in the water at all because I didn't spend time and like I'd spent a month training at the Y with some lifeguard teaching me the, the freestyle. So to me, what helped me, like I was getting physically ill thinking about the pool. Like we're going to the pool, we're doing water con and I would get physically ill, couldn't eat lunches. Like there's actually physiological changes occurring, but it was always straight up. And I, I'm pretty sure if guys are listening to your podcast, like I guarantee they're doing research elsewhere too. But the one that worked for me was mostly just like make it past that event. Like I can't, my thing was I was not going to quit out of emotion. Like I'm not going to quit cause I'm afraid. I'm not going to quit cause I'm hurting. Like I will quit at the end of the day when I'm, thinking lucid, like when I'm thinking clearly, I'll wait till I'm making a decision consciously. Cause I will quit then. At the, and that's what I was convincing myself as I was struggling. So I think just making it through each event and convincing yourself like it is going to suck. Like it's bad. Um, like I said, physically getting, becoming ill, can't eat, like 
just you know it's coming and that's the thing about it too it's predictable but it's so unpredictable so it's that's it's a it's a crazy environment it's, it's a hell on earth but <laughs> um, it's like you know you're gonna get slapped in the face but not how hard it's gonna be or yeah. what they're gonna be wearing on their hand exactly <laughs> yeah so um yeah that that would be my secret i guess it kind of did it for me it was like i i just knew i wasn't gonna quit out of emotion or in the moment and um and then I'd, I'd give myself a time that I was going to quit. And then by the time that showed up, I was like, this, okay, well, this isn't bad. We just, all we're doing is a run now. Like I can run. And then I'd make it past that. And then I'd be like, I'll, I'll quit tomorrow. Cause I know we've got to do swimming again tomorrow. So it's kind of just delay it, just put it off until it's convenient. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and just never got around to it. No, just never got around to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a really awesome advice too, because, you know, the people that I've seen quit a lot of times it's out of kind of they're desperate and they are looking for that way out. They're just like clawing at whatever they can get, especially, you know, people that are doing 10 ups or whatever, Mm -hmm. they get that heat at the moment, split second decision. And they're just like, I quit. And then that regret just sets in immediately after they're done doing that. And there's nothing they can do to take that back. So I I think that's... Something that we noted is, is that like if you make the decision before you're in that split minute, that split moment decision, like you already made the decision, you're not going to quit in those in those moments. So you don't have to make that decision. Decision. So I think that's kind of a, like a thing too. Like just don't like make it ahead of time. Like I will not quit in the pool. It was the worst environment for me. I like I struggled, but I knew I was not going to quit in the pool because that was my weakness and I wasn't going to do it. I made that decision. So anytime I had the thought, I was just like, no, I'm not doing this. I already know I'm not. So, yeah. <clears throat> Well, any last questions, Trent peach? No, I'm right. Re- I'm good, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and maybe uh, we can get one more shot of her if she's – or get her in your yeah. lap or something. There she is. Yeah. The good yeah. stuff. There you go. Oh, she's sleepy right now. I <laughs> say uh, I feel the same way after Ruck, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's she, like, is, she is out cold right now. She's like, I thought you were going to let me see one baby bed. girl. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> All right. Hey, Callie. Well, speak. Hey, speak. <laughs> she is. Look at, look at those eyes. Yeah, she's got she those sleepy, sleepy eyes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll put it. I'll put it in the mode so we can uh, see you guys as we're wrapping it up here. It was good to see Callie again. Like I said, we've talked a couple times before um, about this kind of stuff. And thank you so much for not only coming on, but doing what you're doing with Callie. Um, like I said, it's really revolutionizing the special tactics career field and enabling us to have an asset that we've never had before. You know, there's all these uh, new technological gadgets that always come out and everything like that. But the kind of tools that Callie brings to the team far outweigh anything that can be produced on a screen or any of that kind of stuff. Um, because it's not only the, you know, something that pops up on a screen, but it's her that is here for the team and another teammate that has skills that we obviously cannot replicate and keeps people motivated. Um, like you said, keeps you accountable when you're going out to the gym and she's working out with you. And obviously I'm sure she bothers you if she's getting all antsy and everything like that. So that, that accountability is right there. And then you just have your built in, like you said, partner for the amount of time that she's able to, you know, execute her job and really just changing the way that we do things. So I just want to say thanks again for putting forth the effort on that. Um, and I think that really, like I said before, exemplifies some of the things that we do in special operations. It's not just continuing to do the same thing over and over again and fulfill the status quo because that's what's expected of you, but going above and beyond and saying, okay, let me look at the situation. Let me look at this mission. What is the best way to actually execute the mission? And can we use different tools? What tools are other people using? Or can I just come up with to make sure that this thing happens? So, uh, you know, good on you for just making sure that picking up those old notes from Hillbilly and then a couple months later, going up to Lackland, making it happen, picking up yeah. Cali. Yeah, I think that's sure. one thing we excel as in a, in a community is like, don't tell us how to solve the problem. Like, if you have a problem that can't be solved, like we are, that is what we excel in. That's that's SR, that's Parasky, that's Comic Control. Like, give us the problem and we'll solve. We'll crack the nut. Like, so it's kind of cool. 
And this is yeah. a perfect example of it. Like it's, there's obviously other people that are thinking it and like, it just, it came through. So. Yeah. It just makes stuff happen. Well, we look forward to continuing to follow Callie and see those awesome dog pics over on Instagram. Uh, make sure you guys are following Sarpup over there on Instagram. And then, you know, as you're going forward, I know you guys are like, how can I be a canine handler? Focus on what you got to do first. That's the That's first thing. Getting yeah. into the pipeline. Uh, maybe not as many blackouts as Rudy did, but try and get, <laughs> try and get, get that training and get to the position where, you know, like you said, around five level, uh, type time frame, which is, you know, two, three years into when you're being, becoming a PJ, you can start thinking about, um, branching out and doing other things to affect the team and make things awesome. Like Rudy did. So again, appreciate you coming on and for you guys out there, make sure you like subscribe. And then if you don't mind go over head head to um, apple podcast leave us a five-star review if you're enjoying the show and as always you guys can always hit us up over at the instagram once ready or info at once ready send us some emails and we will get back to you as soon as possible make sure you guys have all the answers out there um and this is all for you guys so if you guys have anything for us or you want to see anybody else come on the show make sure that you just hit us up and let us know all right cool you guys go out there and earn each breath let it let it